Welcome to episode 472 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a very introspective, provocative conversation with poet, librarian, aspirant, Buddhist, among other things, V.J.R. Nathan. We talk with V.J. about the journey of a hero, dreams, growing up in Staten Island, Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder, Queens Public Library, becoming abundant, visiting India and Thailand, Jung, aligning in one's own psyche, and knowing the pivot line among other things. A wonderful conversation with VJR Nathan this go-round. We have an EWSA titled Wednesday. We share an excerpt from an article titled Heroes, written by David Remnick, published in the May 9th, 2022 edition of The New Yorker magazine. We have a poem called Two Bushes, And of course, all of this will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it then. Episode 472 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours. Take all your boxes and turn back the clocks Straighten the crooked, pull out all the stops I'll be there Doing it for you Save all the best parts of me just for you
Wednesday. Here I am today, you two right there. My ancestors were coal miners and farmers, at least as far back as I know. They must have been philosophers and artists by nature and heart. I stand here in this land, and ahead and above the incandescent can't hold a candle to the moon. I notice this none too soon. The sun is up, and I am in nirvana. Thus, what more can I say? Today, the procreant urge of today. I was talking to this man. I think it was Wednesday. He was putzing around his short front lawn. His garage door was open, revealing his junk. Old, stuffed boxes, a Chevy Nova, with an STP bumper sticker, the band, gold and silver tinsel hanging from a few rafters, shelves. I was walking by listening to the late morning birds and to gunfire echoing off the mountain sides from the gun range the cops use for practice and, I presume, fun. His name, this man, is Sandy. He prefaced telling me it by noting it is a girl's name. He explained to me that the helicopter we were seeing fly up alongside the west mountain and back down, with a big oblong vessel hanging from it on a long cable, was picking up water from Summit Lake just up the hill to dump atop a wildfire on the other side of that tectonic, weather-carved and worn, tree-covered cascade of rolling and steep, green, brown, and light yellow. I could see the smoke intersperse with calm, white, and gray-hued cumulus. He asked if it was okay to give my friend a chocolate lab named Katie Girl a handful of treats poured from an old peanut butter jar off a wooden shelf next to a strand of gold tinsel. I said, sure, she loves snacks. Soon, after shaking hands, I turned into the road ahead and showed him my back as me and Katie Girl strolled back into the sway.
Hello, VJR Nathan. Is that you? Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for being on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Thank you for having me. Before we get started, let me share a little background with the listeners. VJR Nathan is a librarian and poet living in Rockaway Park, New York City. He is the head librarian of the Christine Mann Library in the C.G. Jung Center in Manhattan, New York. He is currently a master's student in Naropa University hybrid online program for clinical mental health counseling with a focus on transpersonal mindfulness-based approaches to therapy. His third poetry collection has been published by Poets of Queens Press in December 2021 and is entitled Breakdown Dancer. Previously, he independently published Escape from Samsara in 2016, a collection of personal poems, and Celebrity Sadhana, or How to Meditate with a Hammer, the Paparazzo Poet Meditations Book One in 2018, a partially satirical, partially contemplative examination at fictional moments in the lives of celebrities. He enjoys exploring Buddhism, consciousness studies, and internet culture, and is soon ending his almost five-year broadcast of the Truth to Power show that airs on the great radio station Radio Free Brooklyn. It's a pleasure to have VJR Nathan on the program. So thank you so much again, and we're kind of like colleagues, though we never really met because we both produce shows for Radio Free Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. They have sometimes they have meetups, but I, I haven't. We haven't really spoken or connected as much as I would have liked. Yeah. Same here, but hey, there's always the future. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So um, let's get into it. Uh, poetry is a big part of what you do, uh, what you love, and uh, you have three books of poetry. Um, let's talk a bit about the the personal poems you write. You know, the the one book I mentioned, Escape from Samsara. And also, Breakdown Dancer, your most recent one, just published last December. Uh, personal poems. I mean, how? what do you mean by personal poems? How personal do they get? Yeah, I mean, I kind of follow, or I now see it as following uh, a mythologizing, a personal mythology. So, in other words, I'm examining um, my life and through the lens of kind of that mythopoetic, um, kind of looking at it in the, in the sense of archetypes and you know, looking at it in terms of the journey, the journey of a hero. So I, I try, not, I try uh, to examine memories, visions, and dreams. Sometimes I'll look at dreams and I'll, uh, I'll actually transcribe them, uh, you know, in the, in the sense of uh, capturing it as closely as I could, as I can, uh, to what the actual dream came up to me as it arose to me for me. And sometimes I'll take a memory and just kind of frame it in a way that gives it some context in the life journey. So some of the poems are, are each of these examples of some of the different poems I've I've written in both Breakdown and Answer and, and Escape. And and now you know, let me ask a little bit more. Are you, are you a native New Yorker? Were you born? Yes, in, yes. I was born in Staten Island. Staten Island, and you know what? Uh, in that experience, as a younger person, do you think got you into poetry? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in high school and senior in high school, um, I was friends with this young woman, uh, a classmate who was uh, really into like American, um, 19th century American poetry, like um, 
you know, Whitman, Emily Dickinson, uh, you know, uh, William Carlos Williams, uh, 20th century. I think it's like, uh, 19, uh, oh, shoot. Um, anyway, the point is, um, yeah, 19th century and then into 20th century, like E. Cummings, all this kind of stuff. So, um, uh, I became kind of interested and, and, and I started to write poetry, uh, as a young person going to college. So it's like a way, as a way, as in Dead Poets side, say that we write poetry to woo women. <laughs> right. That's what yeah. I was thinking. Maybe this woman you mentioned, you kind of fancied. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was a good friend of mine. And um, you, uh, William Carlos Williams, all, all of those that you mentioned, you come, I love them all. I remember mm -hmm. when I was younger, William Carlos Williams resonated uh, with me for some reason. Uh, still love him. And... You know, you you uh, you mentioned a little bit about uh, the celebrities. You know, looking at the um, the lives, fictional moments in the lives of celebrities, and and kind of building off of of that. I it makes me think about the whole Johnny Depp case right now. That's is that good fodder for what you're talking about? Yeah, I, I kind of I haven't been keeping as close touch on this particular trial uh, now, but I did feature Johnny Depp in the in the collection. Uh, celebrity Sadhana for a couple of poems in relation in his relationship to Winona Ryder. So you know, I was focused on Winona Ryder, but then you know, in in relationship to that, Johnny Depp came up. Um, so uh, I was exploring like Winona Ryder's dream, uh, anxiety dream, where um, you know she's uh, um, kind of like examining her life in relationship to her kleptomania, in relationship to the story around her stealing something from. Saks Fifth Avenue. So that story was fodder for that poem. You know, I kind of was examining her anxiety dream around that incident in her life. And then John Depp comes in as a Saks Fifth Avenue guard and, you know, hijinks ensue and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so it was an interesting exploration. It was like a way for me to get into the collective unconscious, as Jung would put it. Right. Like how we all connect and how we all kind of resonate with each other's stories and how I was able to even get into my own anxieties about uh, relationships and around, um, you know, the spotlight. So that was like a way for me to transfer. They call it transference in therapy. When you like transfer over your emotions to a vehicle that is a little bit more, um, you know, accessible for common, you know, in this case, accessible to the common reader. It's so important, so important. And, you know, your role and your, your, I guess, your day job, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, as head librarian of the Christine Mann Library, and that's at the Jung Center in Manhattan. Um, that must be a fascinating position to have, especially given your love of the written word. Yeah, I was so glad to be able to align my interest in uh, psychology, my interest in uh, consciousness studies, with the actual job, because I was working for 15 years for the Queens Public Library uh, when I came out of uh, graduate school. And I also did a master's in library science. I didn't mention that. But I did a master's in library science at St. John's. And then I, 15 years, I worked at Queens Public Library. And then I was interested in changing or uh, shifting my focus to psychology again. It was something that really inspired me in, um, in college and, and, uh, and in, even as reading as an independent reader in graduate school. So therefore, I... Um, I was able to see this opening and it was just really like a, a fortuitous moment for me where alignment where uh, I was able to then um, continue to pursue the master's of clinical mental health counseling as well as get some more like inspiration and inspire analysts in training uh, and people in psychology uh, students 
who uh, are interested in exploring the, the, the mysteries of the mind. Yeah, and you know, when I hear what you are sharing and I look at the things that you've done up to this point, it, it leads me to believe that you're not doing all this to try to, you know, become financially rich, uh, maybe rich in another way, it seems, uh, or you're trying to just understand self and humanity or beyond humanity. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think there's a sense of, like, when it comes to life mission, you can't be doing it for an exterior goal. You know, you can't be doing it for like, I'm gonna, you know, it has gotta be interior goals. I mean, like internal goals. You know, like I want to feel a certain way, I want to produce a, and even that, there's like a, there's like a whole study around like manifestation work and how you get, how you align yourself with your environment. Where is the environment? It's really like within you and your own alignment, your own tuning of your own self is really how you become uh, abundant and when you have that, that feeling of abundance you don't have to have external um, you know circumstances to, uh, to uh, you're not chasing after external circumstances they'll align themselves when you are, are aligned yourself you know oh definitely I mean you're sounding very much like uh, you know a Buddhist right now to me <laughs> yeah definitely definitely I've learned a lot from Tantra from Vajrayana Buddhism from uh, Mahayana Buddhism Vajrayana being like in Tantra, they have the imagination, and you imagine the results. You imagine yourself at the result, which is you know, um, you know, total enlightenment. You got to bring that bliss of enlightenment into the path right now, so then you're able to like get through the the day to day because you're bringing the result into the process. You know, bringing the result into the process. Explain that a little bit more to me. Yeah, basically, it's like. Um, you know, like, for example, like if I were to if I were to have the the agenda, which is part of my agenda of exercise and, you know, I want to I want to have a, a very muscular body. Right. So I'm like thinking to myself, what does that bring me? What is that? What would that feeling that uh, having a muscular having muscles would bring me and being able to sit with that and kind of bring that into my awareness now that now I, ha I have that mentally uh, imagining in your imagination. I have that uh, big house. I have that nice car. I have that wonderful mate, whatever it is that you want, whatever it is that, that, that desires come up every day for chasing after things. But instead of chasing after it externally, you're kind of bringing that feeling that accompanies that result into the path right now. And, and, and uh, when, when you, you reference uh, uh, Buddhism in, in the notes you sent me uh, as Western Buddhism, do you yeah. differentiate between Western Buddhism and Eastern Buddhism in your in your experience in your mind? Well, I experience my experience has been that the the way it's presented is slightly different. Is there is difference in the traditions? So uh, in the traditions, when I've gone when I've gone to India and I've gone to Thailand, uh, those are the two Myanmar pieces I visited to receive some teachings. Uh, the practitioners they have a different uh, approach. So I do find that the tradition has kind of the tradition of Buddhism has kind of re-transplanted itself in the West, in Zen and in Mahayana um, Nukampa and Kanampa traditions. So there's some specific traditional lineages that have um, re-kind of configured some of the teachings for more of a Western mindset. So I think like for me at least, um, uh, I, I kind of got turned off to like the Hindu kind of um, Eastern Buddhism or like Vedantic traditions that I was exposed to growing up. Uh, and I became more enamored with kind of Western viewpoints because I'm ultimately I'm born here and raised here and 
you know, I feel like, you know, the um, the Western mindset is more acclimatized to me. Is it is it a bit uh, too that the and maybe this is what you're saying uh, to a certain extent, the the Eastern thinking is a little bit more antiquated, uh, to put it nicely, in, in terms of how it might look at women or how it might look at, you know, even like castes or classes and, uh, and things like that. Yeah, I mean, there's elements of that in both Western and Eastern tradition and, the, and this, as far as like civilizations go in time. Uh, you know, when we go back and even we go even down even today in America, you know, when we think about like the right um, Christian, the ultra right or the evangelical Christian tradition has its own problems. But uh, I think specifically in regards to Eastern and Western, Eastern tends to be uh, a little bit more um, like kind of there's certain uh, certain aspects of the practice and the presentation that are more bhakti devoted, like bhakti or devotional, which I'm not so I mean, I find like Western traditions tend to be a little bit more intellectual. They tend to be a little bit more um, kind of cerebral, mm-hmm. which I understand a little better. I, I climb into a little better and they try to tailor that cerebral kind of more intellectual kind of pseudo academic almost academic kind of presentation of the dharma in a way that uh is like relevant to kind of this hyper attentive based you know hyper kind of internet based society we live in and i would not say the east i mean east now is becoming like westernized there's no Mm -hmm. east west differentiation now it's almost like east is becoming the west there's no it's all really arbitrary but just I'm not living in Thailand, so it's difficult for me to like, you know, use the same modalities that a Thai monk would use with Thai people because they just have a different uh, routine and a different understanding. They, they do chanting, bhakti movements, as I said, like devotional. And I think in the West, you do more cerebral, as I was saying. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I hear you. And I, I have a regular uh, contributor on the program. We call him Almighty Todd. And he's he's up in Vermont. He, he has... Um... A dojo is a sensei, Akido, Akito. I, I think I pronounced it, I put the accent in the wrong way, but you know what I'm talking about, Akido? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. There's so many different uh, traditions where they have like the body, involving the body with Tai Chi, and there's a different, there's a Korean, um, Korean uh, Zunmundo, which I did in Korea, I did a weekend. It's so difficult. It's like, it's like a, it's like a combination between yoga and Tai Chi, mm-hmm. which is very challenging, but, um, yeah, that's also that's also a modality that has become incorporated in uh, among the West and you know as as incorporated in, in the Far East as well in uh, Japan and Korea and China. You know they they've gone into um, more physical. I mean yoga obviously in India, but in Buddhist practice, I mean they've gone to all this. Yeah. Well, the reason I brought up uh, Almighty Todd is is he often uh, sort of criticizes to a certain extent the Western mentality with regard to well within the context of zen in particular and how there's this thing he would call zen sickness where people often will use meditation or this idea of zen to avoid dealing with real issues in their life and that's not a healthy thing not a healthy approach do you know what i'm talking about yes yes i know what you mean it's like the the concept of um the one the way the analogy i've heard is um reading the medical instructions as opposed to taking the medication, like, or drink the tea, taste the tea, drink the tea. Like, and it was like, there's a, there's a, you're reading about something, but you're not actually practicing it. Um, just like when you drink the tea, it's like, it has its effects on your body and mind. So you have to actually do the practices in order to, and, and avoid over intellectualizing 
to the point where you're just becoming like using it as an intellectual weapon. Of course, that's the danger of that um, kind of pivoting to that point where it becomes just an intellectual chewing gum. Right. So that's something I understood. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even when you read the 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 Tao Te Ching, you see it often referenced. You know, shut up, shutting off your mind, so to speak. Mm. You know, or or words. Uh, you know, having such a, a limit to them when you're trying to understand uh, the way. And I, I always that always makes me uh, reflect um, about the cerebral extent uh, to, to which I exercise or I try to to uh, process what Buddhism is or or uh, you know Taoism is. And I guess there's a crossover there to a certain extent, Buddhism and Taoism. I don't know if you're into Taoism much. Um, uh, I haven't done too much exploration of that, but I'm starting to now. But uh, one thing I would say is that. Um, in my in my writing, though, I end up I ultimately end up taking, you know, what what's most immediate to me, my own life, and kind of digesting it through the lens of the teaching, so that then I can like be in relation to myself and my memories in a way that's um, what I believe produces the best results, which is ultimately therapeutic in a way, uh, and I and modeling this kind of relationship for uh, for my. Uh, digestion of memories and how it's presented. So ultimately, I, I'm a big advocate for therapy. Of course, I'm going into the uh, mental health counseling degree because I'm a big advocate for therapy and I've gone to therapy I've, for many years. And I think that um, the therapeutic process, therapy process is something everyone can benefit from giving space to one's emotional life and giving space for discussion, um, uh, giving space to, of the emotions, of the emotions with the, with the professional. So you'd be more probably into a Jungian uh, approach, uh, uh, coupled with um, mindfulness, transpersonal mindfulness, as as uh, you described it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's how I'm hoping to continue to study and like how we can relate with uh, oneself in the in the terms of being the hero of one's own life, and and that's ultimately my my process and what I like to share with others. You know, the hero of one's own life. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. The, the Campbellian. Um, Joseph Campbell wrote about that the hero with a thousand faces and that has to do with it connects back to Jung in the sense that like looking at one's life in terms of the hero's journey yeah you know you're bringing up some of my favorite people Jung and, and Joseph Campbell I remember when I was a youngster you know maybe 18, 19 uh, the uh, quote uh, follow your bliss was first presented to me and that was a Joseph Campbell uh, insight. Uh, yeah, you're you're really uh, into some great stuff. Um, I think you must have uh, a healthy way of processing the day to day because God, you know, we all need that for sure. It's difficult. It's especially in the world we live. You know, you you wanted to talk a bit about pop culture, uh, our popular culture here in the Western world. Do you think it is it it, it adds to our struggle or or does it help us with the struggle of just being uh, alive? Yeah, I mean, in the sense of like, um, as an artist, I comment on and I'm in, and I'm in, and I'm in dialogue with pop culture because, uh, you know, um, like in the sense that we, I understand it, it works in the level that the machine, you know, the propaganda machine and the, and the machine of society works in a way. So understanding how it works and being able to, to um, be in dialogue with it is important. I think it's, you know, it's difficult to shut oneself out from the machine um, that, is, that is working uh, because then we'll just become marginalized. But when we become in dialogue with it and the more we're in dialogue with 
the primary um, mechanism of our society, which ultimately is culture and pop culture and, you know, the kind of mechanisms around that. And um, then we, we'll be able to understand how it works and be able to subvert it, that subvert, subversion of its intention, which is to, you know, kind of make people sublimate their emotions. But we can kind of create a, a way in which we can be in dialogue with it to do its opposite of what its intention is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that that's a that's a nice option to have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, do you have any poems handy? Yeah, I have so I have so many, but I'll read one poem, I guess, because we have uh, limited time. Um, but um, I'm trying to see what the best. Uh, I'm trying like oh, I had selected a poem. Um, the body is a garden. Is interesting. Um, Meditation I wrote um, that I'd like to share with you and the audience. Excellent. I would love it. This body is a garden. There are perennials growing in my perennium. There are roses crowding up my brain. The lily is entwined with my chest hair, leaving my hands tied up in the daisy chain. While daffodils multiply in my bowels, the tomatoes are plucked right for my, right for my spine. Asparagus is growing for my testes. Above legs of corn stalks harvested in a line. Hmm, I love it. And which which book is that? A new piece or is that already published? That's published in Breakdown Dancer. Breakdown Dancer. And if anybody wants to pick up one of these, uh, uh, yeah, it's all available on, on uh, most online retailers. You can look up uh, on Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or the uh, various other retailers. Um, my name VGR Nathan, or you can look up uh, Postscreens Press, Postscreens.org. They have a link to the direct link to the um, to the book as well as vjarnathan.com. I believe I have a link to the books there. Um, and yeah, you can look them up online. Otherwise, the, I also have some. Uh, I have a PDF of uh, Escape from Samsara available for viewing on my website. If you like, just add some sample poems uh, on vjarnathan.com. And let me spell for people. That'd be V I J A Y R N A T H A N. Correct. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Excellent. No problem. So um, we we have maybe about five minutes or so. This is a fascinating conversation. We're going to have to have you on again, VJ. We will. This is great. I'm loving it. Um, so, you know, when you were younger, did you have uh, other people in your life that turned you on? to to this maybe within your family your neighborhood when i say this i i don't mean just poetry i mean you know eastern thought uh, buddhism or or did you find it in college and uh and where do you think it's going to take you yeah i mean well, my parents uh were interested in followers of satyasai baba who was a guru in india in the um 70s and 80s uh you know he he, he was born like i think in earlier i think 50s or 40s but then he died in 2012 or 2011. Um, he was a guru who like preached um, unity of all religions, and he was a Hindu. Uh, ultimately, he was Vedantic or Hindu philosopher uh, being, uh, you know. And uh, I became kind of disillusioned with that, with kind of the Hindu philosophy, and turned towards like uh, a more Western presentation. I looked through like a lot of different schools, and you know, I found I discovered New Kampa tradition. Which is tradition in Western in, uh, in New York City and all over the all over the world, really established by Geshe Kelsen Gyatso, who gives these teachings on um, Mayana Buddhism, 
for modern modern Buddhism for like uh, general people in the modern times. And uh, I, I really touch on to that. I learned so much from that. And then now with Naropa, I'm learning so much from their tradition. And um, yeah, I think that was the main, those are the main uh, vehicles upon which I built my tradition. Also, I went to Catholic school for a long time and I do appreciate the Christian and the, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, the, the, the traditions around that and, and around uh, uh, the Vedantic tradition, all this kind of stuff, all, all the intersections of all the religions I appreciate. And ultimately it comes down to is my own personal experience, which is what is what's most important and how I digest uh, daily, daily life in regards to the goal of, you know, alignment, wholeness, individuation. So, and, and that leads me to this question, you know, and maybe it'll be the, the last question for this conversation, though, again, we're going to have more in the future. Thank you. Uh, where do you, I mean, wh- where does, where do you hope all of this will take you? You know, what, when you look at yourself as a citizen in this country, the United States of America, you see what's going on in our country, you see what's going on internationally. Uh, I mean, are, are, are you hopeful about our species? Are you hopeful about human society? Is this path you're on a means by which you think you could transcend or, or, or help, you know, get away from the ills or maybe help cultivate a, a, a healing yeah, it's so interesting because in Buddhism, they have the idea of the solitary attainer and the bodhisattva, which is the two paths of uh, Mahayana and Hinayana, Hinayana being the solitary hearer and uh, Mahayana being the, the bodhisattva. So, um, you know, ultimately everything is a story that you're telling yourself, that, that the world is at risk, that the world's going down, all this kind of thing, or the world's going to uh, end, all this kind of It's all a story. So ultimately what we have to do is align within one's own psyche, one's intention, one's, um, you know, kind of uh, um, energies. Only then can we start to do healing with one, within oneself, within one's own environment, and ultimately kind of trust that that ripple effect will, uh, will kind of touch people on a, on a heart-to-heart basis. So I don't think, I try not to get myself too wrapped up in the political narrative in the sense of like the world's trajectory or these are all kind of uh, abstractions in some ways in my opinion uh, so ultimately what the concreteness of my experience is that I'm here to um, make heart-to-heart connections with my environment and with myself and with my with, with myself with my environment rather and ultimately that I just trust the process that it'll happen that things will happen things will manifest and of course, we have a vision for the future, but that's a whole another conversation for our oneself and for what for the world. But uh, I try to keep myself open to the possibilities. And ultimately, it sounds you're—I don't know if hope is the right word. Yeah, hopeful. Yeah, you're hopeful. Yeah, trusting, trusting. Yeah, trusting. That, yeah, trusting because it's not a future attainment. Right now, right here, things are good. Things are—we have what we need in the sense of abundance coming to a place of abundance. Come in place of security, come in place of being enough, being full, being satisfied, whatever, whatever the exterior circumstances are. We have to come from a place of wholeness. Otherwise, we'll always be chasing after the next thing, the next, you know, attainment, you know. Oh, I do. Let, let, let's say you were in uh, Kiev, 
you know, somewhere in the Ukraine, getting uh, attacked by the Russians. Mm. How, how, how do you how do you think that would affect your your state of mind? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that uh, when there's there's a degree of which we have to take action around uh, protecting ourselves, protecting our community, protecting our um, well, our physical well-being, our body, our, our like a Maslowian kind of hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. We have to address that. But then uh, if it, I know a lot of people who are living there, who are living their lives, who are not directly affected, but not, are not engaging in a kind of, um, you know, we have to do what we can. You know, we have to do what uh, we do, what we can, what we're called to do. And, and knowing the knowing that pivot line between um, kind of uh, what we're called to genuinely and what, you know, kind of, um, you know, uh, you know, what to, to protect ourselves, protect our communities, and what and what is kind of uh, what we have to say. We have to just continue my life and try to do the best I can. You know, so even for people living there, I'm sure people. Not everyone is, from my understanding, not everyone is directly affected, but some people, of course, have to take priority to, you know, um, protect themselves. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's. Uh... It's oftentimes to me very perplexing and a little disheartening that we we make so much trouble that does not need to be there. But, you know, then again, maybe I'm oversimplifying things. Uh, But but talking with you has given me uh, some some trust, some some uh, faith, some hope uh, and has definitely motivated and inspired. So thank you so much, Vijay. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for this conversation. Oh, it was wonderful. We'll we'll talk with you again. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Doctor, let me tell you something about myself I'm a college man and I'm very wealthy I got no time to trifle with trash like you Cause I must be about my business my Brother's a machinist in a textile mill Make more money than you ever will Just got married to a Polish girl There's a dance up in Baltimore Small cafe on me She run off the Negro from the Eastern Shore Feet again. Back on my feet again. 
from an article titled Heroes, written by David Remnick for the May 9th, 2022 edition of The New Yorker magazine. Just how unhappy political life has been in the United States was demonstrated recently in Lansing, Michigan, when Lana Theus, a Republican state senator, delivered an invocation in the legislature that melded the cadences of prayer with the lexicon of QAnon paranoia. Quote, Dear Lord, across the country we're seeing in the news that our children are under attack, that there are forces that desire things for them other than what their parents would have them see and hear and know. End quote. State Senator Mallory McMorrow, a Democrat who represents Mitt Romney's hometown, understood that Theus was exploiting the occasion to call for a crackdown on teachers making any mention in the classroom of slavery, racism, or homosexuality. Michigan Republicans, like so many Republican lawmakers across the country, have been trying to foment moral panic in their constituents. In Lansing, they are eager to draft their own version of Florida's so-called don't-say-gay law. McMorrow and two other Democrats walked out of the chamber in protest and expressed their dismay on social media. Not long afterward, Theus sent out a fundraising email that attacked her by name. Quote, These are the people we are up against. Progressive social media trolls like Senator Mallory McMorrow D. Snowflake, who are outraged they can't teach, can't groom and sexualize kindergartners, or that eight-year-olds are responsible for slavery, end quote. It was hard to know if Theus was speaking out of genuine conviction, careerist desperation, or both. She is facing a primary challenge from a Trump-endorsed candidate named Mike Detmer, who has said that voters should, quote, be prepared to lock and load, end quote, at the polls. McMorrow, responding to Theus, gave a fierce and eloquent speech in the Senate chamber that made the case for decency and integrity in politics better than anything heard of late from a lectern in the District of Columbia. She denounced Theus's, quote, hollow rhetoric as an attack on, quote, marginalized kids in the name of 
parental rights, end quote, and the phony culture war tactics in Michigan and by inference on the national scene as a diversion. Here's a bit of Mick Morrow's response. Quote, People who are different are not the reason that our roads are in bad shape after decades of disinvestment, or that health care costs are too high, or that teachers are leaving the profession. I want every child in this state to feel seen, heard, and supported, not marginalized and targeted, because they are not straight, white, and Christian. We cannot let hateful people tell you otherwise to scapegoat and deflect from the fact that they are not doing anything to fix the real issues that impact people's lives. And I know that hate will only win if people like me stand by and let it happen. End quote. Where you going, my brown-eyed son? You used to crawl, but now you run. You started off on a road half dark, and the river curled into a question mark. We sleep on diamond beaches, dear, and drink from prison streams so clear. You don't have to be rich to get around There are mansions growing out of the ground Days go by Get out and see the world Days go by Get out and see the world Took you far from home 
two bushes. A new birdbath, and it is whack. We got it from a big box hardware store with the same name as the theater chain that thrived in the earlier part of the 20th century. It cost $44 and some change. It holds water between two bushes on the front lawn just fine, surrounded by dandelion. I think the ornithals will like it. Episode 472 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, V.J.R. Nathan, writer David Remnick, The New Yorker Magazine, Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow and these musical artists. The Lonious Monk, Valerie June, James Maddock, Randy Newman, Brent Denon, Culture Abuse, Bradford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. And of course, as always, I would like to thank you. For listening. Until next time, let's do our best and try to enjoy this time. Take care.